Welcome everybody to Comedy on Edge, the podcast. Big news, the Sydney Comedy Festival is around the corner and I've got a show in it. That's right, Tuesday, April 30th, Mark Williamson's Guns N' Roses is coming to town. As well, Dave the producer, Dave Keishan, is teaming up with friend of the show, Andrew Barnett, for Dave and Andrew's one-man show. That's on Tuesday, 7th of May, at the Factory Theatre. For tickets, visit sydneycomedyfest.com.au and for more information, visit comedyonedge.com. Now, let's start the show, Dave. Dave, hit the music. Welcome to Edge HQ. Peter Burner, how are you? I'm very, very well. Thank you for having me in your small room. Oh, no, well, it's it's small, it's big, it's you haven't lived in the inner west for a long time. This no, is, I have we, not. Yeah, we, no. can, we could probably fit about three sets of bunk beds in here, you know, get some students going. Absolutely, it reminds me, I, I walk in, I like the flavour of the joint, it reminds me of the kind of place I lived in when I was at art school. Ah, oh, oh, yeah. you were in art school in Sydney? Yeah, I was, I lived, uh, the, the place I lived in was on Baptist Street, and it's now a restaurant. Oh. It's now a cafe and a restaurant, and I often drive past it thinking, knowing what went on there, I wouldn't eat there. Yeah, no, but, do you, you so you've never sort of gone in there and gone, I used but, to wank there. Yeah, yeah. Bong water was right there. <laughs> no, I never have, but uh, it looks beautiful. It's a beautiful place and I recommend it. Uh, yeah. But it's, uh, it's curious to see the places you've lived in over the years either disappear or get transformed. That's the second place that doesn't exist. I had a studio, a great warehouse on Albion Street, where you, you literally an artist warehouse where you could ride your bike around inside, and that's when I was at art school. That ended up, and Surrey Hills had such a great potential that was that was betrayed by the government when mm. when they developed Sydney. They left the they left when they're putting the whiteboard together of the things that Sydney needs. They left art space off. Surrey Hills had a great potential to become a place where you could go on the weekends and artists would open their studios and you yeah. know and you might be able to stroll with the kids and buy original art from everything was sold off to developers and became a New York style loft apartment which is curious because the view out the window <laughs> isn't New York yeah it's sort of like it seems like the artists sort of they fl- flew from Surrey Hills to Newtown now Newtown's just now they're in Marrickville I think eventually we're just going to drive them into the desert yeah which is which is a which is a shame for any city. If you go to any major city in the world, mm. you know, um, New York, Barcelona, London, Paris, there is a quarter that is forgiven and given to the artists. What it means is landlords have to be either rent controlled or mm. because the mighty dollar will win in, in the end. When the old fabric district, which was Surrey Hills and all the seamstress mm. shops and uh, the warehouses were vacated, Terrific space. Yeah. There could have been a wonderful vibe for that that end of town. Just gutted. So that that joint, I live there. That's gone now. That's part of a hotel. It's part of a hotel. It's yeah, Sydney. I think in Sydney, unless you're involved gambling or sport, the government's not interested. No, and and it's going to come back and bite them on the ass. I mm. mean, I'm not an urban planner, but Sydney relies so heavily on the harbour. Mm. The expectation that tourists will come down and stand on the water's edge and face the harbour all day, but as soon as you turn around <laughs> and look the other way, there's bugger all there. No, I mean the the, the movie district along George Street is a, is a standing joke. Well, that know? I mean, where the movies, that's that's not safe. One, I did no. a late night gig at the Metro. Oh, I would have been a year ago now, and we're waiting to get in because there was another concert. There's a punch up going on, hmm. and I said to the man, "Can you let us in?" No, no, no. We're watching this guy get absolute crap knocked out yeah. of him. 
And yeah, it's just that's Saturday night in Sydney. It's not I have um, I have no desire to go into the city. There's no no reason for mm. me to go into the city at night. I mean, occasion they try, and I'm not going to sit mm. here for the next forty minutes and sl- <laughs> slam Sydney. But but you know, I mean, I've grown up here for you know near on fifty years, um, and I've seen opportunities missed and stupid decisions championed. But you know, yeah. there's some good parts of the city. Let's oh, yeah, let's be yeah. honest. There's some good parts of the city. This yeah. this room is one of them. This, oh, this, this room should be on some 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 sort of tourist. It'll be co- yeah. Like, well, we've had. It's funny enough. I've got my flatmates are Estonian, and there's a guy on the couch now. He's here. He's here. This is his bedroom when I don't kick him out to podcast. Why don't? Why doesn't? Why isn't this on some sort of uh, tourist trail with buses pulling up out the front and photograph? It should be. Oh, I think we think we should. We you know we could get we could get a little gut. We could sell some. You know, secondhand stuff downstairs. Oh, we, we could do live shows. I mean, when you get the tourists in. Just when I when I pulled up to to just you out the front uh, loitering about on nothing. It's intimidating as hell. It's great. It's yeah, fantastic. Well, that, well, that's, that's a flavour. I thought I was like. going to get mugged on the way in <laughs> well, by the guy who owns the joint. That's what we like to do. You know, just get our guests off centre as we sort of come in. It threw me. It did. I was almost going to take take off and and disappear, but I thought no, no, I'll I'll man up. Are you personal? Well, that, that's it's good you came in because. Josh, who our intern, who had to nick, he's actually currently stripping down your car as we speak. Oh, he's it's great. Yeah, he's he's got wheels. Let's keep him on the. That's all right. So long streets. as well, as long as he, he goes fifty fifty is what he gets from it. I'm a happy man. Well, that's good. That's good to see. Now you've you've had a great career. You hosted one of my fa- two of my favourite shows, The Einstein Factor. I love that that show. Like for those that don't know, go. Is it on YouTube or? Don't know. No, if you don't know, go Wikipedia Einstein Factor. But it was a great quiz show where. It was a quiz show that catered to the quirkiness of people it in that it let you choose. You had your specialty topics. Yes. Well, of all the topics that came through, uh, what was ones that sort of stood out? Like, was there anyone where you're like, really? That we had a lot of people who had read a lot of sci-fi books in great detail. I mean, disturbing oh, wow. detail. Yeah, like underlining shit. Um, <laughs> you should- know, mollusks. A lot of things about you know royalty. Um, strange country and Western fans. Who we had one guy on, uh, and amidst all the Barry Joneses and the and the you know mid-century you know Renaissance art and the high-end stuff, we had a bloke come on whose special subject were the insane clown posse. It wasn't Caesar Kaiser, a friend of the show. <laughs> Might have been, but it's... but just amazing. That and the, he lobbed in and he sat, and took his seat with great pride and. And the question writers had to go away and then research insane clown posse to come up with enough questions. And if you made it through to the grand final, they would have been really, really drilling down deep into insane clown posse. Yeah, I've got a knowledge of it. There's not much about the, you know, the look. It's not as deep as you know, you know, Renaissance art. You know, from you know, so so yeah. Sometimes the question writers had to to work quite hard. Sometimes they they got they got books. That they hadn't, they weren't aware of, so they oh. would have to go away and read the book to ask the questions. And these guys are professional question writers. Most of them are ex Sale of the Century Grand Slam oh. winners, and there's a couple of them in who make a. You know, they write. They were writing for us. They were writing for Temptation. They were writing for someone else. They're writing for the one that Eddie hosts. Um, so these guys make quite a comfortable career <laughs> yeah, out of yeah. being, you know, trivia nuts. Yeah, but the whole thing because that would have been backburn. Oh, the Einstein factor was it. Print. It was around the earlier stages of the internet. It's yeah. It started um, started ten years ago. It was two thousand three, yeah. two thousand nine. I think six years. Yeah, yeah, six years of Einstein Factor. Before that, it was two and a half, three years of Backburner, and then a couple of other, uh, then something on cable, and so bits and pieces. Yeah, I've been quite lucky. I've sort of yeah. uh, stumbled upwards. 
Someone you've stumbled upwards from. Yeah. You've taken the long walk from the Harold Park. Yeah, miss the Harold Park. Miss. I know it's back in one form. I have not been there since it's come back. But I loved yeah, the early days of the Harold pubs like that. Again, to get back onto the money yeah, money yeah. part of it. It's a shame we've lost so many pubs to the sort of pokey craze that mm. all those wonderful performance spaces have been lost. Well, as we spent, like, when, when I, moved to, I moved to Sydney in 2002 and I love music was my first love. I always, in Tassie, you'd get one band a month and it'd be great. And then I remember the first weekend I got to Sydney, I'm like, six of the bands that I love are playing in this weekend. And like my my nights when I got here used to be Wednesday night at the Hopeton, Thursday night at <laughs> yeah. the Annandale, Friday at the Sando, and then Saturday at the Metro. And now it's like the Hopeton Hotel, that's gone. Gone. The yeah. Annandale's on its last legs. Sando's changed hands too. Sando, they're, they're coming back. The people from Melbourne have bought it who own, I think, the Tote. Right. And they're planning a big renaissance. But the thing is, the problem the Sando's got, because we used, there used to be a comedy room there. when I fir- My very first mm. or second gig was at the Sando. Noise complaints. Yeah, of course. I mean, you, and we used, because we used to run in Oxford Street, um, the East Village Hotel. We used to do this great night of comedy on the rooftop. It was per, you're looking out over the harbour. You're doing it. was a just great night. The first night we had it there, we got a complaint the next week. Like, you can't use microphones. People were laughing last week. People are complaining. You live in Oxford Street, one of the busiest parts of Sydney, and you don't want people laughing in your Yeah, people move in next to a pub and complain about the pub. We've tried, it's funny, looking, thinking about all the different rooms I've worked over the years, and most comics have a go at running a room at one stage. I used to run a room with Fred Lang down at um, the Bat and Ball on the corner of Cleveland and South Dowling. We oh, started yeah. a room there. There was a room in a pub called Billy the Pigs up at Bondi Junction. That Billy's just gone now. Mm. Um, I've done room, pop, rooms, comics desperate for work, as we all are. You have to make yeah. your own yeah. space. Uh, there's been rooms pop up and disappear in pubs all over. Where we are now, Common on the Edge, we're at the library. This I like a, that room. Yeah, it's it's good. It's a great it's good. room. But we've we've had three venues. To we almost lost it. Like last year, we just started. Was it last year, Dave? Or yeah, it was last yeah, year. yeah, last year. Like the management got locked out with all our sound equipment inside, and it was two months before we could get back in. Thankfully, they wanted comedy back. Right, which is great. But you know, we risk losing everything just based on. You know, is there a quid in it? It's a labor of love. Yeah, it always is. It's it is. It's a labor of love, um, which is a which is a real shame that it's not supported. I mean, mm. there's a lot of not a big population in Sydney, and there's a lot of choice. Mm. So, and and comedy, if it's not done well, can turn a crowd off, and they won't go back for yeah. a while. You yeah, know? yeah, we know. Like, I think Sydney is sort of like we haven't got that culture that England has of you go out. I mean, Sydney, you. I, right. I, I thought that too, but apparently uh, uh, the UK is beginning to suffer as well, and they've, they've done a study on it. It's the, the rise of YouTube, and people kind of catching all the good acts on YouTube, and uh, they sort of say uh, big comics will do okay, but the, the next tier down, they're beginning to suffer as well, which was which is a real me. shame, yeah. and I totally understand that. It, it, it happens when festivals come to town, mm. you know, the, the big name internationals pull a big crowd, and mm. and all the, a lot of the dollars out of the the yeah. public, the audience, you know, purse, so that the, the the next tier down might earn a quid, but those people that are putting on those shows, the fledgling shows, they get their mates, but how how many nights can your mates come before they go, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, now we're stretching a friendship. Yeah, you've really got to go. Oh, we've been lucky with the library this year that we've got a lot of locals and they get, like, the just the, it's a new material room, which I think Sydney lacks to an extent. Cause, does. And so the crowd get there. We get, we've got our regulars each week who come in and they know certain comics who perform there they know what they're working on 
and they see it and they dig that vibe and that's we're really lucky with that but i mean that said with where the library is now there's a massive apartment development going over the road We'll probably get noise complaints, even though we're in the will. basement. Of course you will. I mean, that, that, that's very reminiscent of the old Harold Park, that mm. flavour. I mean, the Harold Park and the Comedy Store used to run parallel. And the Comedy Store was where you took that finished bit yeah. and sold it. Um, the Harold Park is where you built it, yeah. in, my, in my memory of it. I always used to love the Harold because it was more freewheeling than... And there wasn't the pressure on of people paying 35 bucks for dinner and show. Man, you've got to hit them with your best stuff. Yeah. Harold Park is eight bucks, mate. Eight bucks. It's better than. You know, this was before YouTube. Yeah. As you say, nowadays people go home and an old mate, you know, getting kicked in the nuts <laughs> with 1.9 million views. Mm. My son, who's eight, um, and to, so to him, it's not new. It just is. He's yeah. never known a world without YouTube and the internet and the rest of it. Um, his viewing habits are such that he would barely watch free-to-air when it's free-to-air. Mm. It'll either be an iq show from some other time or he'll sit and watch Minecraft videos. And that's not that's just blokes who sh- old enough to know better who are sitting at home playing Minecraft and recording a commentary of their gameplay and then they upload it to YouTube and you think... Part of me's worried because I think these are these are not this is not my my son shouldn't be watching. Just you know, some guy somewhere in his room playing a game and and commenting. That's not a good role model for my son. No, no, it's not. It's a curious thing that he but he digs it. He loves it. He learns how to play the game better by watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's that's a, that's an interesting. It's like filming Monopoly and playing it and going. <laughs> I'm going to move. See, I move five, and then what I'm going to do here is I'm going to buy a house and build a hotel. Fascinating. <laughs> But to him, that's his world. That's, yeah, but it's, yeah, he wouldn't know. Because like, I'm thinking, like, yeah, I've just, it's funny enough, I've got, today I'm setting up wireless in the house, like internet, which, Dave, good you're here, I'll have to get you to fix something in the end. Nice. But, but the whole thing is, like, I, like for comedy now, I need you need internet constant. Like, I've got festival show coming up. You've got to constantly send press releases out. You've got to promote the thing. You've got to write the thing which is sends to take a back burner. And you need to be on that internet all the time. Do you then incorporate new technologies into live performance? No, I don't. Does anybody? Yeah, I think a lot do. My approach to a festival show is the KISS principle. Keep it simple. This year I am, I do have a... Stupid. Stupid, yeah, well, that's implied. Thanks thanks for getting in that, Dave. Thanks, stupid. Yeah, (laughs) he bought that. Uh, But like this year I've got a backing band who are going to play with me. That's my big step. Last year, I had, did a show about wrestling where I had a wrestler <laughs> who ended up hitting my mate over the head with a chair. So, that, we, we're getting it. Next, next year, we'll get on the YouTube phenomenon. Yeah, it's curious. I mean, I've, I've never made money out of any festival show. I've always run it, made a handsome loss every time. What, a, what an artist I must be. <laughs> um, and it, it is, it is, it is a, something I think in hindsight. I mean, in 1999, I had a show nominated for Best of the fest out of Melbourne, mm. but that was the year that Backburner came along, and I, I, I sort of left the world of live stand-up mm. and concentrated on that. So you were sort of, you were blackbirded out of the out of the live stuff and into television, and then radio came along, and like most comics, I think you you you, you find yourself the recipient of a regular paycheck, and you think, oh, do I really want to haul mm. my sorry ass out to there to earn two hundred bucks, maybe from you know, no. At the end of a long, you, mm. you, there's a passion to do it. Yeah, but but it, but when you don't have to do it to make the rent, you think, oh, I'll take tonight off. Then I'll take Monday off and Tuesday off, and yeah. and I've got to get up at four in the morning anyway, so I can't. There are others that that are 
relentless um, and continue to maintain a presence on the live scene, which is commendable. It's a young man's sport. I've heard the comedy being described as a as an apprenticeship. Yeah, like, yeah, ten year apprenticeship. Yeah, Anthony Miller used to say that stand up is a ten year and apprenticeship, and uh, and it is. And and so you, in order to make money out of festivals, you've got to literally put in an enormous amount of. You've got to put in year after year of making no money before bang, if you're lucky, and you've got the goods. You click. Yeah. You look at all of them. They they would have done. They would have lost money in their first five, and then bang. The next year, all of a sudden, yeah. crowds are there, and you can't explain why. And the next year, there's a queue forming, and you can't mm. explain why. Yeah, it's sort of that build up. Like if you if you start if you're a young comic listening to this thing here, your first festival, it's a three four year plan. Don't just think I'm going to do this show this year. If you want to do Melbourne, you've got to do well. We had, follow it up. We had Matt O'Kine on, and he got uh, joined uh, best newcomer in Melbourne mm. last year. I said best newcomer, yeah. After eight years, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's the way it's, you know, and and, and that's entirely right. And the, it's curious that you would say you get into it with a five year plan. That's that's a thinking that wasn't around when I started to do stand up. Mm. When I started to do stand up, it was literally somewhere to be, so, yeah. And there was no plan. None of the people that I, I mean, I got into stand up literally. I I woke up on the Monday and thought, you know, I'd been overseas, I'd backpacked around, I'd left advertising, you know, because I was in a rut, you know, I was, you know, and then I thought I'd come back and my life would be very different. It doesn't take long before you find the rut again and the groove (laughs) in the in the couch and the TV and the the bowl sitting there and the beers and you think, I'm back, I've got to get out. So I rang the comedy store and said, "When's your open mic night?" And they went, "It's tomorrow." And I said, "I'm there." I had no act. I just wanted to go somewhere. I just needed somewhere to go. Yeah. If there was a darts contest at the pub, I would have become a darts player. Yeah. So it was that, and there was no, there was no plan. There was no, but there, there was no real opportunities beyond the clubs until Good News Week came along in the mid nineties yeah. to give stand up somewhere to go beyond just yeah. being good at the clubs. But you talk about like the plan, like the whole at where it's at now, like the Harold Park. I'm, I've, I've fascinated with the history of this place. Like I was, it's before my time, but. I've talked to Sam Bowering, who he did his first gig there when he was sixteen. You're right. Um, Peter Mizell, I think I think he pe- his life peaked at the Harold Park. Yep. Um, I lived upstairs for a while. You lived upstairs. Yeah. Dan McCartan lived upstairs. I lived upstairs. Yeah, I think Sally Kimpton may. Paul lived Rowland there. lived upstairs. Sal probably lived upstairs for a while. Yeah, I remember living upstairs at the Harold. That was my whole life. But do you think the hit rate? Like, I look at the comics that have come through there and gone on. We're talking Jamon, Jamon, Kitty Flanagan, Akmal, yourself. Tommy Absolutely, Dan, Carl Barron, all of them. Yeah, Carl, who've gone on and just... The Umbies. Yeah, like we talk about, like just going back to the festival ideal, like where do you use technology? For me, comedy at its best is watching someone like yourself, Tommy Dean, just deliver jokes or stories for an hour. Like I could watch both of you guys for an hour. Like I don't need the dressing. No, and that's I what agree. I think. But and I think, is that... Do you think that was fostered by the Harold Park or do you think it was other factors? The Harold Park was an authentic comedy club in that, it allowed comics to to freewheel, to to not be bound by the convention of you will mm. give me a show with a beginning, middle, and an end, and it will have a narrative arc. It's about people who would roam the stage searching for an idea and then build on that idea, riff on riff on that idea. Um, you could imagine you could imagine the Harold Park and the flavour of it. You could see Lenny Bruce on stage, or George Carlin mm. on stage, or Richard Pryor on stage. What festivals do? Um, <laughs> heard um um who who once described festivals as good 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 comedy performed bad 
about in I can't remember the exact quote, but the notion was each twelve every twelve months, comics are forced to present quasi theatrical productions, adding layers to their craft that they're not familiar with. Some people are. I mean, there's a poster up there of Daniel Kitson. Yeah. He is, you know, great stand up, but he's also a one man. He's, he's yeah. he pre- presents one man shows more than just stand up. Yeah, I'd say yeah. It's sort of he's sort of moved into that theatre. Theater. Yeah. His world of theatre. And it's and that's where local comics find it tough. I think is that that is that there's this this expectation that you're going to bring your theatre show to the festival. Mm. You know, my life story. You know, people are from eight to eighty. It's a journey. <laughs> and then the then the overseas acts come in, and they call their show funny stumps, and they just do stand up for an hour, and everyone goes, "They're just brilliant." You're half baked and ordinary. He's brilliant. I'd be brilliant too if you just if I was could get away with just doing stand up. But then if I just do stand up, people go, "Oh, he's just doing what we see at the clubs." It's hard to turn yourself into yeah. a com- commodity at a festival if you're doing the same thing they can get for two bucks down the road. Yeah. So you're forced to try and do more than you're familiar with and you sort of layer bits and you add devices and maybe you start working with these... Some people are great at it. I know Lawrence Mooney's great at it and, mm. and, and really clever and, and have a capacity to develop that. And some people are just great stand-ups mm. who, who find that an awkward fit, I think. Yeah. yeah I mean, but- I've never been... I, I mean, I've done a couple of those kind of shows, but I'm always... For me, stand-up was get in, talk, get off, pay the rent. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Fastest way I, I knew to learn to earn, to earn the rent. And it was a privilege to to talk about different things each and every night and to do... I mean, if I want to do the same bit every night, then I'll, then I'll try out for o- the touring company of Oklahoma. <laughs> you know? That's theatre. That's not stand-up. Yeah. Stand-up should be a little bit more freewheeling than that. Yeah, is it true you once walked on stage at the Harold Park nude? Uh, I took my clothes off on stage. Oh, you took your clothes yeah, off? Yeah, I took my clothes off on stage. That was the 10.30. At 10.30, and that was really nice, for about a year and a half, uh, Simon Morgan, who ran the Herald, basically said to me, look, 10.30, that can be yours. You can do whatever oh. you want. It's a rare privilege. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're some, what we sometimes had 10 people in the crowd, sometimes 3 people, sometimes 30 people. Myself... Dan McCartan was involved. Sean O'Riordan was involved. Um, Paul Rowland was involved. There was a whole stack of us that would get down there. Sometimes it would just be me for an hour and a half. And and Simon's got video of this somewhere. He tapes oh. it. He t- used to tape everything. I'm sure ninety percent of it's shit. I mean, really self indulgent claptrap. But every now and then something would be worth yeah. visiting. Um, but what it did was it it gave me, I think. The um, it gave me the certainty that I could fill an hour and a half if I had to. Yeah, well, it wouldn't necessarily be a great hour and a half, but <laughs> yeah. I could fill the hour and a half. So it gave you a fearlessness about when people said, "Get up there and fill that." Oh well, I've done. You know what I mean? It's that yeah, stage yeah. time, which is so so important to stand up. You oh, know, so you can you can write all the jokes you want mm. at home, and you can be the funniest guy in your bedroom, and in long form, it looks terrific. And it, but you you'd write a hundred percent. You get on stage and perform it, and at the end of the first performance, you'd have ten percent that made it as live material. Mm. There's a difference between being. I'm such a witty author. Look at me. Yeah. I'm writing articles for the newspaper. Aren't I wonderful? Aren't these so witty? Well, that was uh, Woody Allen's hit rate. He said, "For every ten jokes he writes, probably one survives." That's it. That's exactly right. And and sometimes it's the one you don't expect. And for me, the the great pressure is having that having the spotlight on you and a stage and an audience. My brain is forced to work for a living. 
if I'm sitting at home, I can write jokes mm. at home, but I can also watch television and make a sandwich and sleep and surf the net. describe it as the difference between amusing and funny. So there's a lot of amusing things, mm. but you get on stage and it's like, eh, it is amusing. It's not funny, though. It's not funny. But and there's a lot of, lot of articles written by people who think they're funny, and it's amusing. Yeah. But it ain't going to survive the acid test, which is, man, they've got beers in them. They're going to expect they've paid money. They want, they want, they want theatre. They want a performance. Yeah. Um, and then every now and again, you'll have something on stage, and you know it's gone wrong. But you, you, by doing it wrong, you know how to fix it by being up there, and then you can come back and say already a better bit. Yep. But you can't do that off stage. No, no. And you overwrite it, and it gets verbose, mm. and it gets uh, saggy. I used to, and you don't. You, there's no. There's no panic. There's no. There's no. It's not like someone's on stage. Someone's put a gun to your head and said, "Make them laugh." <laughs> really, make them laugh. Um, and I used to. Again, you can you can screw around. I would go on stage and 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 almost deliberately paint myself into a corner, and then the exercise would be getting the hell out of that corner, and out of yeah. that that being trapped. It's not like you're the MacGyver of comedy. Quick, <laughs> quick, there's a, there's a paper clip and a piece of string and I've built a joke. Um, but you do, you find your way out of it and you, and you come up with a bit that saves your ass and you think, that's gold. And the problem is you'll go back the next week and because you're not panicked or in fear of your life, it never gets the same reaction. And you realise it's part of that energy of that moment. And that's my thrill with stand-up is that each audience gets something that another audience the night before or the night after won't get. It's. I carry around this enormous box of Lego pieces, mm. and you build a different shape every night. And you add new pieces, and you lose other pieces under the couch, and or the dog chews them up, and you never see them again. Or some other comic goes, "Hey, I found this piece of Lego. I'm going to walk away with it." You know that happens. Oh yeah. So you just got to keep throwing new bits of Lego in your box and building new shapes for different audiences. Yeah. How do you think Twitter's fitting into comedy? Like it's. I reckon Twitter is one of those things we're all on, and. There's a lot of dross. There's a lot of really hacky stuff. Um, and a lot of us, I think, it, it's doing a disservice to comedy because everybody's funny now. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of comics who are desperate to, to, to give you, to give a time-stamped ownership of the joke. You know, you do the obvious joke about the Pope Benedict. I'm going to do it! Yeah. And then you see that there's comics in the States and England, they're all doing the jokes. You go, yeah, 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 but I did mine at 12.49. Hmm. 12.49 Australian time. Um, I think it's it's. I understand there's part of it, and I, you know, you do it yourself. You think that's a funny line. If I tweet it now, then if it gets ripped off, it's mine. Yeah. But audiences don't give a shit where it comes from. At yeah. the end of the day, we do. Mm. We have a sense of outrage when material oh, yeah. goes walking. Or well, that's remember when Jordan Paris was on Australia's Got Talent. No, I remember but, yeah. I stupidly read all the S Sydney Morning Herald comments. That you'd see a comic who you'd know would say, this is wrong what he did, he stole jokes. Then you get 15 people going, but he was funny, but he's funny. And the, the one that stood out, and I almost replied, but I thought, no, don't get sucked in. Someone goes, Seinfeld's got writers. And it's like, yeah, the TV show does. The stand-up does. Yeah, yeah. But it's just the whole perception. is like that kid went out there, stolen jokes. He'd been on the Sydney circuit before, stealing jokes, gets on TV, they praise him. And it's not until the little outrage that I'm pretty sure if he'd have gone on the week after with the same set... 
they they were almost yeah wanting him to succeed. Sure, and it and and that's that's the real shame. And I've seen it happen to a lot of funny acts that don't have the t- the profile. And it's it's you know there's there's great there's legendary stories of it happening in the states where the big name act will come to the local club in 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 nowhere Idaho and watch the local guys, and the next day it's it's being done on a talk show by the big name act. That that's great. But the little guy can no longer do that material because everyone in the audience goes, you ripped that off the famous bloke. And that's what they discussed, the concept of having almost a character that's so so unique uh, that no one can take it from Stephen you. Stephen Wright. Really yeah. tough to do alliance by Stephen Wright because you've got to do it the way Stephen Wright yeah, does it. Otherwise, it's not the same line. Yeah. And so you're absolutely right. You, you, you know, mm. I mean, short of becoming Carrot Top. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, I get it. If you are... It's like comics from Australia, like me, for instance. People have said, why didn't you go to America? You know, well, you know, that's Coles to Newcastle. You know, angry white guy goes to America to do sort of disgruntled, melancholic, angry white guy railing against society comedy. Join that very long queue over there. (laughs) Next to the one of Jewish guys, you can be angry Anglo-Saxon white guy being, you know what I mean? It's, It's not unique enough a proposition to be exportable. It could be exportable, but but are you going to cut through over there? Mm. Hogan did because he he decided bugger that I'll give them what they want which yeah. is the bloke in the hat with the corks off it it's a stereotype yeah. that's what they, they can get it they understand it and it's not something mm. that a local American can do withering urbane satire about the human existence that's every night in New York comedy clubs there's a, yeah. there's a great uh, DVD documentary done by an Irish comedian called Tommy Tiernan oh I know that name yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's very popular in Ireland but um he, and to Irish expats when he comes out here. <laughs> that too. Uh, but it's just him going to America and just trying to kind of uh, get his material ready. He was going on, I think it was like five minutes on Letterman. And he's, he just goes into the regular clubs and, you know, just the different point of view. And it was just, it was very very interesting. Like he went to DC and he was told he couldn't swear yeah. in a club. Mm. And he's like, uh, what? You're, you're, you're censoring like language in the place where decisions are made, where you kill people around the world? <laughs> it's a... It's a real, it's a, like an excellent documentary, I have to say. I was yeah. very impressed. Yeah. It is. It's an interesting. It's an interesting conundrum for, because again, it comes back to we have a small population mm. in this country, so the top of the pyramid is very thin. Yeah. Um. There's room at the top, but it's 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 very thin, and you get five or six people at any one time who are the sort of the kings of the touring, and that's pretty much the whole mm. entertainment dollar taken care of right there. Yeah. At that, you know, Jim Owen goes through town. And then four months later, Carl goes through town. Mm. There's not a lot of money left for stand-ups after. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, Everyone's that's... had their filler comedy and they're great acts and you yeah. go to see those blokes. So, uh, you know, and there's others that go through on that level. But so, And then, then four young guys go get in a truck and turn up in town at the pub and they're going to get nine people. Yeah. You know, because yeah. everyone's down the road watching the well, big act. Yeah, they went and saw Jim. Or... Yeah, two, two weeks earlier. Mm. So that's part of the curse with touring too is we don't have an enormous... We can't travel from Sydney to Melbourne through towns as big as Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah. See, in every there's fifty something states in the US, so fifty capital yeah. cities and fifty secondary cities and a million other cities, and they all support comedy clubs. And yeah, it's basically Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane. Wollongong doesn't. Canberra can't. Yeah, well, Wollongong's sort of once a month. Once show. a month. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? In in but that and that's the curse of population. Yeah, and it's cause we're so spread out too. So it's, yeah. yeah, and. And two hours out of Sydney, the headspace is very different from people coming to see comedy at the Harold Park Hotel. Yeah. It's a different comedy they want on the other side of the Blue Mountains. 
Yeah, well, I well not to... different, but the sensibility is slightly yeah, different. It's... Their experiences are different. You know? Yeah, I remember I wrote for a TV show once, um, and when I was writing my jokes, I like, now remember this joke. It was for a Comedy Channel show. They're like, we're aiming at the tradie in Coffs Harbour. No inner city stuff. So they're pretty much implying dumb it down. See, I find that offensive as hell because the tradie in Coffs Harbour is probably smarter than yeah. a lot of people I've seen in the inner yeah, city. Absolutely. That, yeah, absolutely. More, more worldly wise. Yeah, but that was, I just found that baffling. Um, what do you mean with my jokes? Like, Because it was a paid job, I wasn't going to question it. Cause I, no, yeah. none of that ca- cafe latte yeah. sipping bullshit, thanks, Mark. Yeah. We want to talk about uh, beers on the counter and blokes and utes and stuff that we've, you know, it's because the, the, the programmers are all inner city wankers. Mm. So they're sitting there going, well, the blokes up in Coffs Harbour, that's what they are because our market research tells them that's what they are. Mate, they're driving $45,000 brand new utes. They're not, you know, these guys are, these guys, and they stop for coffee on the way to work. Yeah. And they've got an iPhone and they've got a, like this, Mm. and they're running a business and they're they're actually smarter than you give them credit for. And Mm. I think TV is learning that lesson very quickly that that mm. that they I think they've misjudged um misjudged their audience a little bit mm, and think- and the 50 year old that they program to I mean I'm 50 near enough and I'm not the same 50 my dad was my dad would not have mm. sat on the couch and watched the Simpsons marathon back to back I am I'm 50 yeah. I mean our, we're a younger 50 yeah. than, than then the high pant wearing fifty of nineteen seventy five. It was down the club, boys, with long socks and shorts on. But they were fifty year olds. Yeah. Fifty year olds today are very different animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not actually. Yeah, you're spot on there. Because I, like, I remember my dad's now. My dad's a bit older. He's about almost sixty. Because I remember like it's yeah. Backburner was the show we used to watch together. Like he loved that show. Yeah, yeah. And so that's uh, and, yeah. and he's not the same sixty as his father was. Yeah, no, no by far. Like yeah, yeah, he's. I know now. He still watches the show. All, the ABC show, I can't remember. Yeah, he was rang me up the other week to tell me he discovered the show Moody Christmas, and he loved it. There you go. And it's that's a great show. It's a sensibility thing. Mm. See, fifty-five year olds. But I think it's uh, growing up with uh, TV in your life. Like when my dad was uh, young, they used to get sport via the newspapers. They had no TV, mm. and they used to just love getting a newspaper and going through sport. And that yep. was a that was a, a social thing for them that just would not exist anymore. You're getting a Twitter feed straight into your iPhone. Yeah. And you Absolutely. Have, whereas they'd be getting sports results like a week late mm. and that was their lifestyle. And the 55-year-old now is borrowing hair product from Sun, but it's not Brill Cream anymore. It's yeah, you know, They're spiking yeah. their hair up and they've still got the earring in and yeah. they're out wave, wakeboarding on the weekend and it's just a different yeah. headspace. So it's a... You know the forties, the fifties, the new forty and thirty, yeah. and like that. And so to 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 assume to make assumptions about your audience, even yeah, based yeah, based on the most comprehensive research, is limiting. I think. But I mean, looking at like TV in Australia at the moment, the ABC is they're creating some great shows, they're creating some great content. But you look at the other like Network Ten, and I'm a bit bitter because I used to be involved with Good Newsweek. It's not there anymore. No. And because I remember it's funny. I remember the ratings once in Good Newsweek hit below eight hundred thousand and. Pan- like the network panicked yeah of course and now it's like like I think MasterChef professionals this week got 600,000 it's like yeah but they, they had a string of shows last year where it's almost like they took Good News Week talking about your generation great shows great showcases for comics replaced it with utter crap like The Shire and Lara Bingle and thankfully society rejected it yep but do you not like see the rise of this they take formats but then they don't trust the formats that they have to kind of amp it up so they had celebrity and it was like Oh, sorry, Apprentice. 
then had to become celebrity apprentices and then you have things like the block but now the block is only pulling in people who've been on the block before and yeah. it's like they no, 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 with um they have no faith with their no it's not so much that like with with the block the block rates massively the block all stars that it's a, well, their way of getting two shows for the price of one for the year Celebrity Apprentice, which Peter Burner is on. Yes, and indeed. So should, you're on that. Okay. Yeah, 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 it's, it's <laughs> current, currently being filmed, so we won't, we'll, we'll limit our discussion to that. But with Celebrity, they had the original Apprentice in Australia and it didn't work. Then they, Mark Boris, because I think it's his idea, his con, or not his concept, yeah, I think but he's, he, 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 he argued for it. Yeah, yeah, I think he's, um, I think he's one of the investors in the idea yeah, out here. Yeah, and so. he took a Celebrity Apprentice and Celebrity Apprentice was Last season, the first year with Denny, or was it? No, Denny's yeah. was the first. Uh, Julia Morris won the first series, and then yeah. Dicko won the second series. This is the third series. Yeah, and I think celebrity, now. like they embraced the celebrity apprentice because, but they didn't. The real, like the the apprentice, didn't take off here. Whereas the block all stars and the block work. So Master Chef, they've sort of so professionals the, the, isn't rated. So yeah, the, so that's the Master Chef is now kind of. They've gone to professionals now, and it's sort of. But it's just and you so know what my content. problem with that is, and and, th- and this is, I mean, we in our house we loved um, the first series of MasterChef. Mm. We dug it, right? We watched yeah. it because you're because it's it made a nice change that there were people passionate about something creative. Mm. It was cooking, yeah, but they invested their and it meant something to them. Yeah, and it could be you, and it could be you, mm. and 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 the winner will be have doors opened and change their yeah. life and it, amazing prospects. Then they did celebrity one where I think uh, you know even Peter Fitzsimons and what have you came along and they tried to cook. That didn't work because at the end of the day, the people on it yeah. don't have to. They're going back to their high-paid jobs or their other jobs. To them, it's a an amusing diversion. Yeah. So there's no emotional engagement. Mm. Ditto with pro- Master Chef professionals. You're all chefs. Yeah. yeah Get yeah. on with being a chef. It's not like you're a plumber who chefs by night, and this is a chance for you to realise <laughs> your dream. You're already a chef. I don't care if if you want to be a better chef, mm. go to a course. Don't film it. See, I think they need to go the other way with Master Chef, and this is like I'm I'm slowly learning to cook. I'm not great. Like what. I call cooking is probably reheating. So do a show where you've yeah, never but cooked. Get, get like 10 guys like me who know nothing. Boil water. Yeah, like yeah. that can be a challenge. Okay, make a meal. Hmm. And you know, like you can start out with spaghetti and you can slowly... Soft boil the egg. Yeah. I, get a soft boiled egg. That'd be a very my, cool challenge. But that like that for me, like I, I'm not an... I couldn't do that. No. I don't know how to I do that. I know people that struggle with soft boiled yeah. egg. It's a very... It's a it's an amazing science. But I, I like that idea. Yeah, Take it right back to yeah. basics. Strip okay. It. Yeah, even go like, what about get some prisoners? Do it in a prison. Oh, they did that. They tried that. that. Yeah, they, they yeah. tried that. They've tried, mate. If you can come up with, and I've had this discussion with programmers, mm. if you can figure out the next occupation that yeah. can be mined, they've done cooks, yeah. they've done builders, they've yeah. done decorators, yeah, they've done medical secret millionaires, they've done secret, secret millionaires. millionaires. If you can find me, they've almost done lawyers as well. If you can yeah. find me the next occupation that hasn't been hasn't been uh you know mm. reamed by by television yeah. crawled through they're now doing uh uh all the the a and e channel is gone blue collar and they're doing all the you know duck hunters and swamp people oh. and alligator wrestlers and I love all that stuff um so they've decided that there's money to be made it's basically monster truck rallies yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 the and the life that live, uh, is around any sort of traveling carnival and freak show. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> so yeah, and, and it's engaging because they're cut, and it comes down to casting. It's colourful, yeah. you know. Well, that like this year, the My Kitchen Rules is just dominating because they had those the two Indian girls who were just made out to be vicious, and people like wanted to get in. It's like, oh, these girls are horrible. Let's tune in, and 
now like I think Mikey Tyrrell's twigged it because now every promo you won't believe this guy you won't yeah. believe this guy and it's sort of yeah, 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 and and that's um, and they've and they've dominated as you say too, and then TV suffers from that thing uh, where where all of a sudden the the two point five million person watching type show, TV stations go well why can't we have that every week well mate, so now good shows that rate yeah six hundred thousand good television is dismissed because it's not the magic million yeah magic million. If you look at the look at the numbers for for John Stewart's Daily Show in America. Mm. It rates one and a half million people a night or something yeah. in a population of 300 million. In Australia, it would have been axed by now. Mm. Yeah, but it's, I mean, that's one thing Channel 10 has. The only thing they've done great was when they launched the project, that didn't rate at all, but no. they gave it a year to get find its feet. And it has found its feet now. Like it's rating well, it's creating, and it's creating jobs for comics, which is great. But mm. yeah, so, the, but there's, where's the other chance for that? Like, yeah, like at the moment, there's no real show. Like for a young comic coming through, like, Myself, I've, I do comedy quite a bit. I've got festival shows. I've got a bit of a following, but I need that TV or radio of you appearance. Do. Yeah, otherwise, forget from? about it. And you, I mean, I did. I remember doing stand up on Visard. Mm. I did a stand up spot on Visard. Mm. I did a stand up spot on the midday show. Those, mm. I mean, I did one on Rove. I, I never did one on Rove, but Rove was available to comics yeah, yeah, to yeah. do it. A Tonight Show like that, mm. that that gives. Mr. Yeah. and Mrs. Sitting at Home a chance to see you yeah. because um, you can't be everywhere. You can't, you can't, you can't play to a million people a night by playing clubs. No, no. So no. you need TV to spark that interest. All of them do. Yeah. George Carlin did. Richard Pryor did. Robin Williams did. Louis C.K. did. They yeah. all required their Tonight Show spot. Yeah. To break through, otherwise they were just cult in a club. Carlin used to do it. Used to do the Tonight Show. Yeah. Albert uh, Albert Brooks did. T- you know the t- Tonight Show. They all. They all need that. You can be the greatest club comic in the world, but without television, yeah. you will be cult following. You're cult, man. Yeah. Read unemployed and unable to get a loan. <laughs> yeah. But cult. Yeah. So true. It's funny. We sort of talk about, like, we mentioned a bit, uh, go back a bit at 50. What world do you see for your son at 50 now? Like, it's. Oh, look, it's, uh, I'm very envious of the world that he's going to... Fast zombies or slow zombies, I think, is the... Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he's, he's, I mean, he's done a fair bit of work on the iPhone now about killing zombies. So if they get to the garden, he, he's, he, he's, he's, and they get to the up. roof, he's sweet with that. He can have zombies pretty much, you know, the, the ones dressed as Elvis and the ones that pole vault. He's got pole vaulting and Elvis dressed zombies down. Look, it's going to be um, amazing uh, moving forward. It's... um. For him, it's a, it's a world dominated by possibilities that, that can't even fathom. I mean, it, you know, think think about the co- the company doesn't exist yet that's going to topple Google, but it'll come along. Yeah. It'll come along. Yeah. You know, a company will come along with a product that'll that'll dominate Apple. Because mm. people people used to say that really an inner city terrace house worth half a million dollars, mate. They're a million bucks now. We can't even imagine what's around yeah. the corner. You know, the, the you know when one day when Apple decides to buy f- Google or Facebook or they're going to merge or and become country. yeah, or a small country. Yeah. You know, you, you have an interesting age, son. Can you see like what his imagination is like at the moment, or is it so much of it now just being fed into? I worry about that. I worry about the level of passive engagement versus active engagement. I mean, the screens are terrific and they're mm. a great learning tool. And aren't they wonderful? And every, and all the sequences are shortened to make it look like they work. Um, it's wonderful devices, but, but they're passive devices. Mm. You can tell me all day long that it's an active engaging tool. It's a passive tool. 
I like the idea of him grabbing a piece of string and an old broken toy soldier and a piece of Lego and creating a world. Yeah. Um, and we have to limit, as most parents do. Mm. I think there are parents out there that create that are, that are like screen Nazis. There will be no screens in our house at all. We are going to abandon nine, nine to the screens. Uh, you know, how often do you kids watch te- nine? No, no television at all, ever. No screens, well, nothing, never. Uh, my theory is that, you know, the, the village, that movie, The Village, where they thought they're all living 100 years ago. I think I'm going to try and convince my kids they're going to be living in 1985. That's good. So they get to watch Family Ties, what's going on. Back, you know, to, the Back to the future. future. Nice. You know, and uh, so, you know, it'll. it'll It'll be a tough one, but I think it's important. Look, as long as you keep them at home and never let yeah. them leave the house. Done. And, that, and that's, interestingly, the problem they've got now with a lot of emerging nations who have access to the internet and, 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 and cable television is they sit there in, in surrounded by poverty and despair and, and now they know what's available on the other side of the fence. It's, and that's why apparently there's a big suicide rate in some of these, you know, in places like, uh, for instance... Um, Samoa and things like that is because uh, you know average wage fifty bucks, mm. flight out eight hundred bucks, achievable not in a million years. So they know that there's mm. and but they see the potential out there, and they're, but they're stuck. They can't get out. That's that's hell for a young person to to, yeah, to have to to have to process. Wow, yeah, I never even thought of that because you could almost get yeah you could almost, I'm sure there's inner city executives you could get to ah. Oh, for 800 bucks come and live in Samoa and go back in time yeah, exactly yeah. all that I mean there's that yeah. I mean we were in Bali on a holiday you know and the bloke was you know we did the whitewater rafting tour mm. he's making 250 bucks a month yeah 250 mm. bucks a month yeah his life I mean and he's you know he loves his life and yeah. he loves his family loves his place loves, yeah, yeah. but he's not like he's ever going to go and catch a Broadway show yeah. The, the flip of that is the um, there was a guy I, I don't know his name, but he gave these just these instamatic cameras to all these kids in uh, disadvantaged countries like in India and Africa, and he says just take pictures of stuff you see, do, stuff you do, and he sort of said instead of like showing really uh, you know horrible things, it's like the most outstanding things. All the kids are smiling, smiling, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, you know they they don't they don't know what they don't have, and they're happy. Yeah. And are, and are they? And and to be honest, uh, you, uh, if your job is a whitewater rafting guy yeah. through the beautiful valleys and rivers of Bali, or sitting in an office in the corner of some clapped out building in Ultimo trying to sell something down the, I mean, who's got a shittier life? Yeah. You know? Who's who's got a credit card bill? They've just they're trying to sort out in a. You know, I mean, it's horses and courses. You know, one man's one man's hell is another man's heaven. You know. Yeah, so true, so true. Well, with um, just how long have we done, Dave? We must be forty-five. Forty-five. Ah, oh, it's been great. It's flown by. You got any art? You've done a few gallery showings. Any coming up? I have. I've had a few solo shows. I had one in Melbourne, which um, at the end of last year, beginning of this one. I'll try and I'll try and um, mount a show um, later in the year. That's really difficult too, because yeah. Art's a luxury purchase, mm. you know. Um, it's, it goes back to the, the idea of you know, Robin Williams comes to town, everyone buys a ticket to him. Yeah, yeah, Pete yeah. Burner comes to town, and his mates turn up. You can only get your mates to buy so many paintings from you before they go, "Mate, I've got no wall space left. Th- thanks, but I don't need another of your amusing doodles." Um, it's a luxury purchase. So, uh, and when the market claps out, the people that buy art and they mm. buy it tend to buy it for an investment. They're going to buy a name. They're going to buy a yeah. Ben Quilty. They're going to buy a you know. Um, 
you know, a, Louise, uh, a Lucy Cullerton or someone like that, or a, if they can afford it, a Fred Williams or a Brett Whiteley. So Peter Burnham needs to reassess where he's pitching himself in that market. I can create great canvases with oil paint and beautiful works, mm. but in order for me to make a quid out of it after the gallery takes their commission and, and you think club commission and agent commission <laughs> is hard, 40% on a gallery. Whoa. So they take 40% and the tax man, then you've got to pay for yeah. your time and everything else. You've got to sell them for five grand. Yeah, yeah, you're, only, you're only ever going to see about 100 bucks of that. Have you thought of losing an ear? Is that... <laughs> The, go the Van Gogh route, you know. Just oh to, man, I've you know up. absolutely. I actually wanted to do a reality TV program where I would paint a picture and then then set up some cameras and leave the picture on the side of the road and time how long it <laughs> before cool. it was taken and then follow the person that took it to see if they actually wanted the work or were just going to use the frame for something <laughs> else. Uh, what, be- you know, are you you know are you valuable in the real world? You know, put it out there and see if it, you can only you only know something is worth something when it gets nicked. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, uh, funny you say that. Like I thought the gallery, the whole gallery thing. I had an idea last year, and it may sound stupid. I remember telling another comic, and like that's idiotic. My idea was to to try and get so you get sick of working in pubs. Try and get into the art galleries. My idea was have the stand up show as a gallery where you have mini, three mini stages or four mini stages around the gallery, and you lead your tour in ten at a time. You stop at the first comic. The light comes on. They do their set. Then you move nice. on to the next one and the next one. I remember. Telling, I love that idea. Yeah, well, you love it. I told it to another comic and he just freaked out. No, I love this. that idea. But I actually thought of doing stand-up at one of my... At like mounting a show of my work and then doing stand-up... I think you should. ...in I the gallery. That, I think that would be great. It would be great. Would you make any money out of it? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. But it's uh, all those things. All those things are um, if they're if they're if they're if you can if they're financially affordable. Mm. With rents the way they are, and the amount of yeah. money you got to, you, you know, you got to turn over to, it becomes an expensive thing to attempt. We mm. don't have a whole lot of rundown anymore. We don't have a whole no. lot of rundown fire trap spaces where where you can do it for fifty bucks and a nod to the landlord. It's yeah. occupational health and safety, and you know, like that. And you can't sell alcohol without an alcohol license, and it's become a little bit anal to get away with things like yeah. that, or you want to put, do it in a gallery. The gallery want to make a quid, and yeah. and you know it's 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 a beautiful idea. I've thought of it many mm. times, but 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 you you can't you can't also as a comic stand up on a stage in a gallery and have three people standing there. Yeah, it's, yeah, you'd have to do. It, you'd no. have to make sure you got an audience, which means you have got to sell tickets, which means you have got to market it, which means you're back to square yeah, one. Square one. Well, there you go. Well, Peter Burner, thank you so much for coming along to Edge HQ. That's all right, man. You're on Twitter at... At Peter underscore Burner. I was Pete Burner, but I was drunk when I signed up and I can't remember the password. <laughs> so, Pete Burner is an empty space now. You're so. in good company. Brendan Burns. did the same? Sa- He was for years going, who's got this Brendan Burns? Then he realized back in the days when he was drinking, he set that up and forgot the password. Yeah, I've done that. I've bought a lot of stuff drunk on the internet. (laughs) So well done. And you also keep an eye on The Celebrity Apprentice coming in April. Yep. And thank you for coming along. Dave, thank you. You're on Twitter at... Dave Keeshan. K-E-S-H-A-N. Not a problem. And you're also coming to the Sydney Comedy Festival? Yeah, uh, me and Andrew Barnett, uh, who's been on the show before, I've got a show on... uh, May seventh, uh, one man show at so the at the factory at the factory. At the factory. Very cool, guys. That's, Good yeah. luck. Go for it. I'll come down and heckle. Sweet. Well, come to mine. Mine's April thirtieth, the week before. 
Same venue. He's the week after, so you can just stay there the Sweet. whole time. Oh, Peter Werner, thank you for your time, guys. Welcome. Oh, sorry. Welcome. Welcome. Ah, oh, lovely. So, guys, if you're listening, thank you for tuning in. Please. If you're on iTunes, give us five stars. It costs you nothing. Give us a review. Give us a rating. And if you're on Twitter, tweet the link for this podcast to your friends. That'd be great. Have a great week. Dave, hit the music. 